I've spent the last five weeks listening to I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. And welcome to Spin It, everybody. I'm James. With me is Connor. We're the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. Connor, say hi to the people. It's the couple certified buffoons <laughs> talking about some music. That's right. That is a very true thing. We are certified and buffoons. Indeed. Do we certify ourselves buffoons? Does that count? Isn't there some kind of like buffoon certification process that's independent that we have to go through? Uh, I submitted the buffoon application to the buffoon committee, and uh, yeah, they certified us. Wow. The certificate's in the mail. I'll keep an eye out for it. You should check the spin it mailbox. Just have the mail department forward it my way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The mail department will sort it out. Man, coming off uh, last week's episode where we did a brand new album that just came out. That's right. We did the band Camino that just came out. We're doing the exact opposite. We're going pretty... We're going farther back in time, something considered probably older now than today's music. Yeah, definitely. I Love Rock and Roll came out in 1981. Yeah, and I have a bone to pick with you. Uh, You know what month it is, right? Yeah, it's September. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, Then why are you giving me a Christmas album? No, it's not a Christmas album. No, 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 no. This came out at the holiday season, and they have Little Drummer Boy on it. This is a Christmas album. You've given me a Christmas album in September. I guess it's a Christmas album in the same way that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, where, like, they mention Christmas one time. All I'm saying is that this was very poorly timed and would have made a way better Spend a Christmas episode. Okay, well, I guess... I don't want to be listening to Christmas music in September, all right? Well... Now, if it had been July, I would have understood Christmas in July. I would have let it pass. There's nothing inherently Christmas about the little drummer boy. That's just when we listen to it the most. It's a Christmas song. I don't know. I don't know. I guess maybe. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. I've got some stuff to talk about with that. But consider your bone picked. I understand your frustration. Just know that uh, the poor timing of this will influence my score. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, I can only give this one a 2 out of 10 because it's September and there's a Christmas song on it. Great. Just know you've done this to yourself. I did this to Joan Jett, and I don't really care what you score it, frankly. Joan Jett, I apologize for what my co-host has done. Fair enough. Sounds good. Well, yeah, we're talking about Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I love rock and roll, and so does Joan Jett. She really does. Joan Jett was born Joan Marie Larkin, and let me tell you, I think Joan Jett may be the most awesome stage name that she could have picked. Yeah, I mean, so there's something inherently rock and roll about Jets. Yeah. You know, you see a Jet, and you're like, that's awesome. That Jet rocks. That Jet rocks. It doesn't roll, it flies. If it rolls, that's bad. It could barrel roll. I guess it could barrel roll in the sky. That, That is punk rock. Yeah, that's pretty punk rock. A jet rolling rocks. Rock and roll, Joan Jet. It all mixes together. It does make a lot of sense, yes. Joan Jet has been called, and I think rightfully so, the queen of rock and roll, which of course excludes Queen, the band, because they're also the queen of rock and roll, but but Joan Jet, queen of rock and roll. They're queen of rock and roll. She's the queen. Right. She is the queen of rock and roll, but she does have connections to Queen the band. She was on super successful tours with them and with the police and Aerosmith and and other popular rock bands of the era. 
Oh, we did Aerosmith. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we we weren't on tour with Aerosmith yet. It's coming. As soon as my hip-hop album. As soon as Connor's hippin' and hoppin' album takes off, then we'll be in the money on tour with Joan Jett. Joan Jett will be opening for us. When hip and hop and takes off. Well, hang on. Let's not let's not oversell ourselves. We'll probably be opening for her. She's the queen. You're right. We'll open for her, but Aerosmith will open for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that. What a tour. <laughs> In addition to touring with all of those musicians and bands, Joan Jett was really a breakthrough English-speaking rock artist for Spanish-speaking countries that were like pretty significant international markets like Panama and the Dominican Republic, where a lot of English rock acts hadn't been yet. She started making music way back in 1975, and she was a member of The Runaways before she went solo. The Runaways were a band that never really got a ton of American success, but they were huge in international markets. They hit it really big in Japan with their song Cherry Bomb. They recorded that in 1976 as The Runaways, but Joan would later re-release that song with her own version, and it was on her fourth album, Glorious Results of a Misspent Youth, in 1984. When I think of Joan Jett, I think about her being with The Runaways, but yet like all of her like super popular songs come from her being with The Blackhearts. Yeah, that is weird, because that's how she started out, I guess. I mean, that's the first thing you you know. I guess. I mean, that's not how, like, I knew her, though. It's not like I was around in 1975 when she got started. You weren't? You don't, you don't remember that? I wasn't around the mixtape, or might have been around. I'd have to ask him. I don't really know how old he is. He's an enigma. Joan Jett left the Runaways in the late 70s and kind of started on her solo career. There's some really cool stories behind her first album. It features the song Bad Reputation, which is another rock classic. It eventually would become the title track, but when she first started trying to release the album, it was just self-titled, Joan Jett, the album. When she first tried to release that, the album got rejected in the United States by 23 record labels, so she had to use her own money to make and distribute all the records for it. Much like The Head and The Heart did, they would play a concert and then they would sell the records that they made out of their own trunk. Was it also wrapped in denim? I don't think she wrapped them in denim. If anything, she probably wrapped them in, like, leather, something really punk rocky. Yeah, she wrapped them in jets. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Buy the record, get your own personal jet. What a promotion. That's quite a promotion. I mean, I'd do it. I'd get a record if I got a jet with it. But because of all this, she established Blackheart Records, and that record label that she kind of started played a big part in releasing 10 of her later albums. Who knew? Yeah. But we're not here to talk about Bad Reputation or 10 of her later albums. We're here to talk about I Love Rock and Roll. If you haven't heard it, if you want the context, and you love rock and roll, you don't even have to go put another dime in the jukebox. You can just pull it up on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music and listen to it right here, right now, however you listen to music. So if you love rock and roll, go listen to I Love Rock and Roll, and then come back and listen to us talk about I Love Rock and Roll. A lot of loving, a lot of rocking, a lot of rolling today. Uh, Only a moderate amount of rolling. Mainly loving and rocking. Mainly loving and (laughs) rocking. I Love Rock and Roll is Joan Jett's second album, and it came out in 1981. And much like the rest of Joan Jett's catalog, it's very rock, very punk rock. The leather jackets, the pun intended, jet black hair. It's actually Joan Jett's first album featuring the Blackhearts, which is probably one of the more iconic backing bands in rock music. So this is her second album, but her third album, okay, get this, her third album is called Album. Wait, really? Yeah, really, and her fifth album is called Good Music. (laughs) So Joan Jett, she releases albums called Album and Good Music. Good Music is clever because then it's like, hey, do you like to listen to good music? And then, you know, every time somebody asks that question, they're secretly talking about her album. It's a code. Everybody likes good music. Album's a bit on the nose. 
Yeah, it is. That's like naming your dog, dog. I mean, Walking Dead did it. Why can't Joan Jett? Did they? Uh, did they name the zombies zombie? Oh, uh, no. There's a dog in the show called Dog. Oh, okay. I don't know anything about The Walking Dead. It's a good show. Must be, if I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Some more trivia tidbits about I Love Rock and Roll. It sold over 10 million copies, and it's certified platinum in the United States. And Joan Jett and the Blackhearts were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on April 18th, 2015, which is exactly 33 and one-third years after the release of this record, which is super cool because a normal... 12 or 10 inch vinyl LP is meant to be played at a speed of 33 and one third RPM. Oh yeah. I thought that was really neat. I had no idea. So since we're spin it and our logo is a record, everybody should listen to our episodes at 33 and one third RPM. I mean, I guess if our episodes were on a, a vinyl LP, then yeah, you could do that. Which they should, should be. Should we release a vinyl? Should we release a record? We should release a record that has, like, Spin It Greatest Hits that has our top episodes on it. Well, you realize there's only a limited amount of space on a 12-inch vinyl record. We'll just make, we'll speed it up really, really fast. (laughs) But then they'd have to play it. No. You get the whole episode just really fast? I don't think that's a great idea. Yeah, you get the whole episode and the amount of time it would take you to listen to a song. Oh, and then we could sell jets with it. Spin It Jets. Coming to a store near you. (laughs) Too much. The merch ideas have gone too far. Ding, ding. Oh, you heard, you just heard the bell. You know what that means. That's time for everybody's favorite trivia game show, Fact or Spin. Everybody, please welcome to Spin It, the Mixtaper, your host for this week's episode of Fact or Spin. Hey, it's me, the Mixtaper. Welcome back. Welcome back. How are you feeling this week? Pretty good. I'm the Mixtaper. I've been working on some secret evil plans that have finally come to light. Oh, uh uh-oh. (laughs) I secretly contacted your art department and got them to commission something pretty Pretty cool. Yeah. What do you got? H- hang on. Next time we're having technical difficulties, getting it to upload. For all of you watching the YouTube video, uh, it'll be on your screen right now for the duration of Factor Spin. And everybody else, you can find it on socials, Spin It Pod and Spin It Pod Official. Spin It Pod on Twitter and Spin It Pod Official on Instagram. Yes. It's uploading now. You should see it any moment. It's trying. It's trying its best. There it is. Oh, well, there you go. The Mixtaper versus Captain Spin. (laughs) Fantastic. It's done more in the style of a fight. It's got the big verses, and it's got close-ups of them. It's it's more like the character shots in Mortal Kombat, where like you select your character, and it puts them side by side. Yes. Yeah, they, yeah, that's exactly it. That's what it looks like. Mortal Kombat Spin It Edition. I don't know. Mortal Spin Bat. <laughs> no, wait. This is the newest bit of artwork I've commissioned from the art department that we can start putting up on the YouTube videos when it's factor spend time. Give the viewer something new to look at. Yeah, that's that's true. They can. But enough of that. It's time to actually get into some facts and spins. That's correct. It is time. So spin me your first fact or fact me your first spin. I don't know. Tell me something. I'll tell you whether I think it's true. My first fact. Joan Jett. Almost got to create the McDonald's jingle. What the butta ba ba ba? I'm loving it. Yep. Well, I mean, she might have probably not thought of that, but instead of that, it could have been something Joan Jett did. Uh huh. That's awesome. Okay, so why didn't she do it? Did they find someone else, or did they just not like what she made? I guess the more accurate thing to say would be that her jingle wasn't selected. Okay. Her jingle was almost the McDonald's jingle. I guess would be the more appropriate thing to say. Okay. Well, how did hers go? Uh, I don't know. I have a different question then, and it's not really related, but I'm curious whether you know. Who wrote Butta Ba 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 I'm Loving It? Pusha T. (laughs) 
Wait, oh wait, I think I did know that. Or I know it was someone you wouldn't expect. Yeah, yeah, it was Pusha T. Her jingle, though, did make it to the final selection round, you know, when they got down to their final candidates for the new jingle. But Pusha T's won out. Okay, so what was the submission process like? Did she just open, submit one to a random contest that everyone could have entered? Or did they, like, pick out a couple dozen artists and say, hey, we want a jingle, what can you do? Well, in 2002, McDonald's kind of put it out there in the jingle world that they were looking for a new jingle for, you know, McDonald's. And... Be weird if they were looking for a new jingle for someone else. It's true. They started accepting submissions and a bunch of different people put in submissions. Right. Was, it, I don't think it was just like open to the public. It wasn't like an open contest. It was kind of in the popular music and jingle writing worlds. Is that the only jingle she's ever written? Or does like anything else have a Joan Jet jingle? She's like, I'm just going to give this a try for this one. I'm not aware of any other Joan Jet jingles, but now I'm curious. The first thing that pops up when I type in Joan Jet jingles is a cover of her doing Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> Because it's a Christmas album. Okay, no, it's not a Christmas album. No, I'm not seeing any other Joan Jet jingles on an initial Google search. It would have been funny if you thought that this was a lie, and then you Googled Joan Jet jingles and found out that it was true. <laughs> but is it true? I think this week I'm going to have to start off this fact with a spin. You think I'm spinning? think I'm spinning out the gate? I think a lot of this fact was true, that McDonald's put out an all-call and Pusha T came to the rescue, mm-hmm. but I... Also, don't know about Joan Jett. I don't know whether she would have submitted one. I don't know why they would have taken I'm loving it over whatever she would have come up with. And the fact that you really didn't say what she came up with is a little suspicious. Maybe hers was I'm hating it. Pretty punk rock. And it made it to the last round. McDonald's is like, this might be the one. I don't know. <laughs> and then Ronald himself took a listen. And he was like, we can't do this. They thought it would be ironic. Reverse psychology. So you're going with a spin on this one then? Locking in spin? Yeah, I'm going with the spin. This fact feels less desirable than day-old chicken McNuggets. Well, this fact is another spin. Oh! It's a spin! <laughs> yes! All right. You nailed it. Everything there was true except Joan Jett submitting a jingle. I usually start off with a fact, so I thought I'd throw a spin at you first. Keep you on your toes. Yeah. You were ready for it. It was tricky. I am on my toes, and it hurts. Up next, Joan Jett was in the 2001 Broadway revival of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ooh, this would be a great fact if I knew more about Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's interesting. Who did she play in Rocky Horror Picture Show? The 2000 revival edition. 2001. 2001. Revival. Okay. She played the character Columbia. I wish I had more questions. I know almost nothing about Rocky Horror Picture Show. Did she do well? Did people like her? Uh, I think so. She accepted the role to get back to her roots. Okay, what does she consider her roots? She was a kid when Rocky Horror Picture Show was out in theaters and everything, and her and her friends would go see it all the time. And it's part of what really made her like the... Cause I don't know, you've heard the Rocky Horror Picture Show music, right? It's very kind of punk rocky, some of its songs are. And so that's where she kind of got some of her initial love for that kind of sound. Interesting. How long was she in the show? Uh, don't know. Usually they run for like a, a year, right? At least. So probably at least that long. She got the call inviting her to come audition while she was filming a martial arts scene with Chuck Norris for the season finale of Walker, Texas Ranger. That's the real fact here. Are you kidding? <laughs> I really buried the interesting information, didn't I? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you did. Okay. That's awesome. Uh-huh. If it's true. Does she do... 
martial arts and stuff? She was learning it for the character she was playing in that. I don't think she does it as a hobby. Wow. Does Chuck Norris win that fight? In the show, or does she beat him? No idea. I've, I've actually never seen Walker, Texas Ranger. It's always been on the list, but never actually watched it. Wow. Chuck Norris better win. Rock and roll loves Chuck Norris, okay? That's how that's how important he is. <laughs> I'm going to say this fact is, I'll say true. You're going with true on this one? I'll say true, yeah, because Chuck Norris is in it. So I want to believe that part's true by default, because if it's not, that's going to ruin my episode. But I also think Joan Jett is a very roots-based person. I mean, it's pretty evident in listening to this album that she has a lot of influences musically that she likes to incorporate all the time. So I can see her wanting to do that with, you know, acting and kind of going back to her roots that way as well. So I'm going to say true with minimal hesitation. Well, you're on a roll today. You're on a rock and roll today because this fact is true wow it's a fact awesome i love being on a rock and roll <laughs> yeah put another dime in the mixtaper baby Give me another <laughs> fact. well your next fact is she taught herself how to sing and play guitar at the age of 13 hmm. okay i'm gonna lock in that this one's true just right away no questions I don't know. Yeah, sure. Dude, are there any questions to be asked? I mean, she does play guitar and she does sing and she, I guess, could have taught herself. Well, all right. And if you just want to cut through all the fanfare about it. uh, <laughs> That's right. Darn it. I'm letting it ride today. I'm two for two. I'm letting it ride. Keep them coming. Well, I guess it's working for you because this fact is true as well. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, her uh, vocal teacher, who was an opera singer kicked her out of his singing classes because of her punky clothes. And her guitar teacher refused to teach her anything but folk songs, so she quit that and decided to teach herself. Oh, okay, I guess I should have asked more questions because... Yeah, there's some interesting uh, backstory there that you just, you know, decided you didn't want, so... <laughs> well, you just, you phrased the fact in a way that made it seem like I knew all I needed to know. I guess. That's pretty cool. She does seem like a very self-made kind of rock star, you know? Especially, this, like, this whole album exudes the I don't need nobody for nothing attitude. So that doesn't surprise me one bit. All right, well, up next, Joan Jett has several cats that she has adopted that she calls the Runaways. Oh, that's cute. Okay, how many is several? Three. Okay, three cats that are called the Runaways. Do they have more specific names? I mean, individually? Uh, I'm sure they do. I didn't find that information. Just that she collectively refers to them as the Runaways because they were adopted strays. I guess she seems like a cat person, doesn't she? I don't know. I really couldn't say for sure. I don't know. How good are you at judging if people are cat people? Again, this is another fact where I just don't know what to ask. When did she adopt the cats? Like, how long has she had them? They actually all came to her within the span of one year. They came to her? Hold on. Well, you know, she like found them, you okay. know. I thought you just like I thought you were implying that the stray <laughs> cats just showed up outside her house or something. <laughs> well, she found them outside her house, you know, as you typically find strays. Right. Two of them she thinks two of them are actually from the same litter because they're both identical black cats. Like they, they have like similar markings and everything. Interesting. Oh, this is a tough fact. Okay, this is the hardest one I've had to think about so far. Oh, interesting. Which is weird, isn't it? I know. I think I'm going to say that this one's true. Going with true on this one. 
yeah, maybe it, it. I'm torn because it seems, again, seems too convenient that you could have just made this up and said, oh, the Runaways, what can I do with that? She's got cats. You even said that the Runaways were what you think of when you think of Joan Jett. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could have just made that a cat thing. At the same time, I guess she does seem like a cat person. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that she thought to name her runaway cats the Runaways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Venn diagram of what could be true and what could be a lie about this fact is a circle so i just have to say true all right you're going with fact on this one locking that in i'm gonna go with fact with the most hesitancy i've had so far all right well there goes your chance at a perfect game Ah. because this one was a spin oh man well i'll take my really good start i'm happy with that and i'm gonna try not to let this throw me off too much but it is disappointing was anything true about that uh not that i'm aware of i made that one completely up without checking if anything was true in the slightest she could have three cats i mean she could have three cats called the runaways and i could be an idiot right now let's just double check oh it's not quite true but she has two cats she has two cats are they actually called the runaways hold on i don't know but hold up no stop what joan jett says i have four cats all strays directly from the street or shelter so she does have a lot of cats that are strays but she just doesn't call them the runaways as far as i know yeah that's crazy i i literally made that up off the top of my head this episode because i was getting panicked at how many you got right gosh Good work. Good work. Wow. You really know your Joan Jett, incidentally. Maybe I'm accidentally the president of the Spinet Joan Jett fan club. I think you are. I think I just assumed that title by accidentally getting so much of that correct. That blew me away. You were really close to making up a true lie. You were so close. I think I should get like half credit for that one then. Nope, 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 all or nothing. Well, (laughs) all right. I'm evil like that. Okay, I'll just take nothing, I suppose, but... You know, if I was a superhero, I'd give you half credit, but as a supervillain, I can only do all or nothing. Understandable. Okay, that was a great week. I was rolling. Yeah, you had a really good week. I only got you once. That's the best factor spin I've played in a while. You're really learning uh, the mixtapers techniques here. I'm going to have to really work hard to fool you in the future. I must be. I don't know. Either that or you're really the president of the Spin It Joan Jett fan club. I might be. But yeah, I, I got you once, so still not a shutout. Nope, nope. Although I almost did. It was I was sweating it. I was sweating it. It was within reach. I'll see you next week for some more fact or spin. Yes, indeed. Hopefully some more wins on my part. Yeah. It means fact or spin has concluded. Welcome back, everybody. Say hi again to Connor. It's me, Connor. Yes, it is. That brings us to the part of the show where we talk about album covers. Yeah, it's a pretty simple album cover. Yes, it is. It's a portrait of Joan Jett. She's in this purple jacket with an ascot on a blue background. Top notch. It was taken by British photographer Mick Rock, and he said, I saw her as a female Elvis, which I think is pretty fitting because, you know, Elvis is the king of rock and roll. She's the queen of rock and roll. I am kind of surprised that it's like this you know, magenta jacket and not the bright red one that she's like known for. Yeah, that's true. It is, I guess, a little different. I don't know why they didn't go with that, but didn't happen. It's actually not even the initial direction that the record label wanted her to take, but she kind of pushed back on that. The record label, she said in her own words, they wanted me to lie on a couch in leopard skin like Pat Benatar or something. You know, I couldn't do anything like that. This, I guess, must have been the compromise, must have been the middle ground between going Pat Benatar and going punk. Still pretty punk, though. I mean, she's staring right into your soul. Yeah, with the bangs, like, slightly covering the eyes and uh, just staring right at you. 
Yeah, you know what? She looks like a woman who loves rock and roll. Or at the very least, blue bandanas. <laughs> right, yeah, she does look like a woman that loves blue bandanas, but that's not as catchy of a song. <laughs> I love blue bandanas. <laughs> I was going to come up with a second line, but I couldn't think of one. Tie another one like a necklace, baby. I love blue bandanas. Gonna wear for this album cover. Um, You're so good at that. That wasn't a good one. That wasn't good. It was way better than anything I could have come up with on the fly. Fair point. Coincidentally, I say coincidentally in air quotes because obviously not a coincidence. I Love Rock and Roll is the first track on this album. Title track, one of Joan Jett's biggest hits, probably her biggest hit, actually. It was number one on the Billboard charts at its peak, and it was Billboard's number three song for all of 1982, which is pretty impressive. That it is. This is definitely one that pops up in my shuffle all the time. Do you know the two songs that were above this on the list of the 1982 greatest songs? 1982. Let's see. Yep, we've talked about one of those songs on this podcast. Really? Yep. It's really been too early for Dua Lipa. Is it, is it going to be something, I don't know, something Aerosmith? No. Would it have been something Pink Floyd? Nope. No. What was it? Well, number two was Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Oh, that's a great song. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. It is, yeah. I feel like that one maybe deserves to be above I Love Rock and Roll. It absolutely does. But the number one song for 1982 is Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Oh! The one that Dua Lipa was inspired by when she made her own physical. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh, he's gonna love this. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, what a fun little connection to Dua Lipa. Who knew? Uh, Do you like how my initial thought process was like, well, Dua Lipa wouldn't have been around yet. (laughs) Like, that's immediately where I went first. Yep. (laughs) I Love Rock and Roll actually charted above some other big hits from that year, though, okay? Get ready for the list of songs that are below it. Ebony and Ivory by Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. Mm. Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. Ooh, Centerfold. Very popular song. Jack and Diane by John Cougar Mellencamp. Wow! Rosanna by Toto. And 8675309 by Tommy Two-Tone. All of them rank below I Love Rock and Roll on the Billboard 1982 list. I mean, I can understand it. It's a great song. Yeah, it is. It really is. But you know what most people might not know? is This is a cover song. This is not a Joan Jett original. I did know that. It's actually a gender-swapped version of the original song. That's true. Yeah, the original is by a band called The Arrows. Joan Jett saw them play this song and she loved it and asked if she could cover it. And her first version of the song that she recorded in 1979 featured some of the members of the Sex Pistols, Steve Jones and Paul Cook. But this album version that she put out in 1981 is just her and the Blackhearts. When the Arrows wrote this song, they kind of said it was in response to the Rolling Stones song, It's Only Rock and Roll, But I Like It. Ah. So that's kind of where you get I love rock and roll. It's in reply to that. And the music video got tons of airplay on MTV. They shot the video in color, but then had to convert it to black and white when Joan Jett realized that she kind of hated her red outfit. Oh, but it's it's an iconic outfit. Yeah, it is now. But for whatever reason, she just didn't like the way it looked in the video. Fair enough. Maybe that's why she's not wearing it in the album cover. Right, yeah. It could be. I will say, you know, I'm usually very critical of album title songs. Yeah. This one, you know, knocks it out of the park. Oh, 100%. I think this might be the best album title song that we've done. Let me think. It's, hmm, I don't know. The Stranger's really good. It's That's a really good one. 
Future Nostalgia is also a really good one for Dua Lipa. I would definitely give it like top three. The classic Connor top three. I don't know. I'd have to think about if it's a better title song than The Stranger or Future Nostalgia. But Okay, well, fair enough, I guess. So it starts off with that really awesome distorted guitar. And that little guitar riff has to be instantly recognizable, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's many people around that would not instantly know the song with the do-do-do-do-do. Like, you gotta know it. Sorry, which song? Sorry, I was talking about <laughs> I Love Rock and Roll. I never heard of it. Yep. Hey, I don't mean to jinx us, but that joke made me think that we've had a couple of weeks in a row without any listening problems. Uh, there was almost some listening problems. What? With this? Well, because the link to the playlist is to the ex- expanded edition. That's the only one that exists on Spotify. Yeah, you told me how many uh songs to listen through, and then, like, last second, you told me to add one more. Wow. And so if you hadn't done that, I would have missed one. So yeah, no, no listening problems I'm, uh, that I'm aware of. Great. We're getting better. We're improving. Well, we started off well, too, and then we kind of dipped. So <laughs> It's just a little couple episode <laughs> slump of listening issues. So this song is pretty much just take it at face value. You know, it's about a woman that's at a dance club at a disco or something, and she sees a young man dancing and loves rock and roll. So she says, come on home with me. That's, uh, that's the song. I don't know. There's something to, I think, the, you know, kind of female empowerment movement that she took a song and kind of gender swapped it and turned it into such an iconic song that it is now. Like you said, 100%. It's impossible to not know what song you're listening to once you've heard it once. All it takes is one listen and you'll recognize it forever. Yeah, and honestly, if I had, like, heard the Arrows version in a different context, I'd be like, oh, they're covering that Joan Jett song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she's effectively taken the song from them. Yeah, especially to kick off the album with this song. It's uh, what a wake-up call, I guess. Like, if you went into this not knowing what you were going to expect. Yeah. As soon as this song punches you in the face with that opening guitar riff, you're like, this is what I should expect. Yeah, she really doesn't let off the gas the whole time either. Not much. What's interesting about the chorus is that Alan Merrill, the Arrows member who wrote a large chunk of this song, said that he intended for this chorus to be what was playing in the club where these young lovers are hitting it off. It's supposed to be the favorite song that all the kids are singing. So he kind of envisioned it as a hit song within a hit song when he was writing it. Mm. Yeah, so it's different. And even to that point, I guess, it's a song within a song about playing rock and roll music from a jukebox. A song in a song about playing another song. Songception. That movie won't come out for another dozen years. We should do a podcast episode about a podcast episode where they talk about listening to a podcast episode. You're, you reminds me of that Bo Burnham sketch where he does the video review of all of his video reviews of his song, <laughs> The Unpaid Intern. That's exactly what it would be. Up next, we got Runaway. That's right. I'm gonna run away. Joan wrote this song with Kenny Laguna, and he was one of her real A1 since day one types. When she was paying to distribute her own records and stuff, he was also chipping in his own money and trying to work to make that happen. So they go way back. Yeah, it's another one that starts off with just a great little bit of guitar. Yes, actually, I had that note in my own notes. I said this is one of my favorite songs for guitar playing because it's so crisp and straight to the point. You know, it's really clean. Mm-hmm. It's a song about a relationship that's been faking it for too long. So now she's gonna, you guessed it, run away. Okay, here's another one for you. It's time for this week's edition of Certified Poetry or Drunken Buffoonery. The line is, this is getting silly. Can't find me no tranquility. It's just wild. Like, if you're looking for unique end rhymes, look no further. Still better than Kanye. 
What do you think? Certified buffoonery? Certified poetry? This is getting silly. Can't find me no tranquility. Hmm. I'm gonna give it certified poetry. I think I agree with you. But, but it's like silly poetry. Like Dr. Seuss. You can't use the word silly without it being silly. You're right. The word silly makes your sentence silly. Yeah. Okay, I wonder though, like which word she decided to use first and then had to rhyme with. If she wrote, can't find me no tranquility, but had like a blank space before it. It's absolutely gotta be tranquility, right? (laughs) Maybe. You don't decide to go with this is getting silly before, like, like, like there are so many other words you can put other than silly there, but she needed on the rhyme with tranquility and so she went with silly that's absolutely the order yeah i know but it's i guess it works nothing else you really could have put there ability futility i feel like you had options but i'll allow it to be certified silly poetry i, I like the dr seuss reference it's like dr seuss poetry yeah like you said still better than kanye kanye take notes fair enough <laughs> this is yeah this is another track that really reminded me of the same like you mentioned one of the big themes of this album or at least one of the big takeaways from it is this female empowerment narrative and stuff like each one of these tracks is joan jett taking no crap from nobody on all of these songs you know i love rock and roll is i see this guy i like him he's mine i'm gonna run away is i'm breaking up with you because you're bad for me you know she's taking a very active role in all of these situations i also can appreciate just how simple she makes her lyrics you know she's not trying to do anything super special with them she's singing what she wants to sing saying what she wants to say and rocking out as she does it yeah it can't get much simpler than we're faking it it's time to admit it you made me feel like an idiot she really doesn't mince words Mm -mm. it's also that's a scathing line like that's you say that to your significant other that's pretty much a good way to try and sever the ties yeah and i love you know you talk again about simple lyrics gonna run away on the chorus very simple that's pretty much all there is to it but the harmonies and the guitar in there are really what shake it up and make it feel distinct from the rest of the verses because it really stands alone sonically from everything else the bridge is really cool too ain't life strange how people change you were all i wanted once now you're just a pain that's top notch it really doesn't get much better than that but yeah it's so simple what i noticed too is that the Blackhearts, as a band give this record such an interesting texture first of all they're great instrumentalists there's that but then they have this really unique way of doing the backup vocals that gives a lot of these songs the undertone of like an old rockabilly song almost they're kind of what makes this the perfect crossroads of 80s punk with this distortion and really powerful powerful themes but then mixed in with a lot of the charm of pure early rock and roll i think that's one of the ways that she really comes to own that mantle of queen of rock and roll or like female elvis is because she's so good at blending the old style of rock music with this new era of rock i agree well let's run away from track two into track three love is pain this was probably the standout song of the ones i didn't know you think? I really like this song, personally. Of the ones I didn't know, I think this one was... Because, I mean, we kind of brushed past it, but I would definitely say I Love Rock and Roll is in patented Connor Top 3 territory. Oh, naturally. And honestly, Runaway, it's fighting for a spot, but I don't quite think it quite makes it. But Love is Pain would be my favorite of the songs I didn't know. Interesting. It wasn't my favorite, actually. It's a bit more of a dud for me, which we'll get into. Really? Yeah. A little bit. But to start out with, Joan wrote this one by herself. Nice. Yeah, she's the only songwriter here. It's a little brutal, honestly. (laughs) Like we talked about how blunt she is in the earlier songs. This one, uh, yet again, she does not mince words. You must obey while you bleed. You know I need to get my way. You are my pup. I'll beat you up in every way. Like, jeez. 
Yeah, man. I love to make you wait. You take the bait. I know you hate and love me too. Ooh, so good. It is good. It's a weird kind of love song. And what I really like, it follows the classic Joan Jett style of starting off with some nice guitar before she comes in. But they add in that bass that plays along to the rhythm she's singing. So it kind of plays along with her. I really like that. I really like the bass playing along with her. I feel like it really makes the lyrics pop. And when she's singing such harsh things, it really adds like a texture of, I don't want to say grunginess to it, but you know, it adds like a, a real hardcore vibe. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. She gets to the chorus and then there's a whip sound in the chorus that I think takes this to another level. Yeah. I did not expect that one to be in there. But, you know, that sort of thing is kind of all over this punk era of music and even earlier with bands like the velvet underground and stuff they have really similar thematic elements to some of their songs it's definitely not as catchy i just for me i thought this song was a little slower not necessarily as catchy as some of the other big ticket songs on this record lyrically i'll give you it is pretty well written but just as a whole package this song was a little bit more on my lower side yeah but like I said, there's certainly stuff to love, especially the screams and stuff that she does throughout this one. Ooh, she's got such a powerful vocal and she really goes all in on those. Yeah, this is the song that's fighting with Runaway for a top three spot. Interesting. OK, part of that to me, maybe it could be biased because, you know, this is a new song to me and I wasn't expecting it because I know I love rock and roll. I knew Runaway and I know Crimson and Clover. Those were the three songs that I, I knew off this album. So this was the one that really stood out to me that I didn't know. And so maybe I'm letting a little bias slip in there. Yeah, it's uh, that's putting up a hard fight. I will say it, it's the one with the whip. So it probably is going to win the fight. <laughs> It's got a weapon. <laughs> well, the other one's just going to run away. You're so. right. Yeah, you're right. It's not even any competition. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on then to the next song, Nag. Listen, I don't want to nag you anymore about how much I like this song. See what I did there? See what I did there, audience? I did see it. It was pretty smooth, pretty seamless. I bet they wouldn't even know that you really intentionally did that to try and transition unless you told them somehow. Nag is another cover. This song was originally by the doo-wop group The Halos, and it's recognizable. You know, it's the same song, but in tone, it sounds nothing like this. Very different styles. Probably my least favorite of her covers on this album. Really? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me, actually, at all. That does not surprise me one bit. Because if you thought Machine Gun Kelly said kiss kiss a lot, you're in for a real ride here. I think by my count, the word nag is said around 78 times here. Are you counting the naggities? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in there as nags? Okay. I counted the naggities as nags, <laughs> which is 78 times. I think naggity, though, was the highlight of this song. I really enjoyed the word naggity. I don't know why. Add it to your vocabulary. Naggity. That's it. So that's the award now for the most times a word is said in one song on this podcast joan jett you get that award how many is it how many did you count 78 78 so joan jett is the current holder of the spin it repetitive award the repetitive yes spin it repetitive award goes to joan jett's nag which i mean i get it i get it saying nag 78 times gets old but come on it's kind of brilliant because it feels like you're really just being nagged no i actually i know so I know, I and so I was going to bring this up. You immediately jumped to the conclusion that's, that, that's why I was going to not like the song. And actually, 
I really didn't mind the word nag being said as much as I have with other songs. I would say maybe one chorus of you're a nag too many. But, you know, if it's just with the amount of times it's said, if I'm only complaining about one extra chorus of it. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's not bad. Uh, <laughs> I think the naggities really helped keep, hold my attention through most of the choruses. Oh, yeah. And I think the reason I just didn't write, like the song is I just didn't jive with the with the beat as much on this one. OK, yeah, I get that. This is another one I think that's super reflective of Joan's early rock influences, mm-hmm. not just for the naggity nag background vocals, but also this song is in a style that's called 12 bar blues. That's the chord progression. And lots of early rock and roll use this exact same pattern. So, I mean, you're talking about getting into the beat of things. The 12 bar blues consists of, you know, 12 measures. They go through this pattern of the one chord to the four chord to the one to the four to the five to the four to the one. And I guarantee that's a pattern that you've heard before. Let me give you a list of some other famous 12-bar blues songs. Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Elvis Presley's You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. Little Richard's Tutti Frutti. I Got You, I Feel Good by James Brown. Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2. And a million others. Like, look up famous 12-bar blues songs, you'll be blown away. But for reference, that's what the general chord progression is. All those songs use the exact same pattern of chords. So if you want a reference... So I actually kind of vaguely knew about that. I didn't know. I don't know chords and stuff. So I didn't like know the chord progression for it. But I had heard of the term 12 bar blues. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. This much of how like the last one didn't really do it for you. This one didn't do it for me. Except for Naggedy. Naggedy did it for you. But Nag did not. The next of the songs that's another big hit for Joan Jett is Crimson and Clover. And this is the other one that takes the top three spot. Yeah, understandable. This is the second most commercially successful song off this record. It reached number seven on the Billboard charts. Well, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna. I'm gonna spill the beans and call it now. This one's actually my favorite. It beats out "I Love Rock and Roll." Wow, that's quite a bean spill. Yeah, I don't know. I just really like the airy way she sings it. Uh huh. She has a very like breathy sound to her when she sings this one. Which you can tell right away because there's that sigh at the very beginning. Uh-huh. And I kid you not, that's at the beginning of every version of this song. The ones that she does recorded, the ones that she plays live, even the Tommy James version. He's the original writer and performer of the song. Even he has that little sigh at the beginning. So it's pretty important to the DNA of this song, I think. Yeah. Now, why Crimson and Clover, you ask? Well, word on the street is that Tommy James was just doing his own version of My Favorite Things. You know, the Sound of Music song. Ah, yes. Crimson is his favorite color. Clover is his favorite flower. So he just wrote this song about wanting those feelings in his relationship over and over. That happiness, that innate joy that comes from having a favorite thing. That's kind of what he wanted the song to feel like. It's just so good. I'm singing in my head right now. It really is. Yeah. I actually heard, you know, we talked about how she gender bent I Love Rock and Roll from its original version. Mm -hmm. I heard that people got kind of bent out of shape when she didn't change the gender of this song. Really? I think I could love her Crimson and Clover. Yes, she never changed it. She said she had to keep it that way for the rhyme because her and Clover. Otherwise, it really doesn't work. But I did hear that people got bent out of shape way back in the day about that. What's a a flower that rhymes with him? Frankly, I don't know. I'm not too up with flowers. Chrysanthemum. That's probably as close as you get. But I think I can love him, Crimson, and Chrysanthemum. What about mums? You could maybe do mums. Him, mum. I don't know. That's that's a stretch. You're getting in Kanye territory with that. It's a stretch. That sounds like the kind of flower Kanye would pick to rhyme. Does it? I guess it does. (laughs) 
No, he'd probably rhyme him with like Rose and he'd be like, no, nah, it works. Yeah, he would. Maybe. Crimson and Clover gets one of my top two or three tracks as well. It's just so good. So good. But that's the end of the first side of the record. Flip it over, and the first thing you're going to hear is Victim of Circumstance. And what do you think of this one? One thing I want to point out about this one is that I do kind of like this one lyrically more than I like it musically, which is rare for me. The song's all about the times that you would be a victim of circumstance. You know, it starts off with pleading with the police while you're getting arrested. Like, I was just here, you know, I'm a victim of circumstance, I didn't actually do anything. And then talking about the way that she grew up and how everyone says she grew up wrong. No, how you growed up wrong. That's certified buffoonery. Growed? You're certifying growed as buffoonery. Yeah, I mean, isn't that part of what the verse is about? It's not my fault I can't say grew up. It's not my fault that all I know is growed up. It's the way I was raised. It's a, I'm a victim of that circumstance. Oh, played me like a fiddle. You got fiddled, yep. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I take it back. Certified, certified poetry. Well, we don't have to start. It could be in the middle, you know. You know what? You're right. I'm not certifying it. It just is. That's just the line. One of the other lines in the chorus, she goes, didn't you know, doesn't it show? Wherever I go, I'm just a victim of a bad reputation. I got no chance of shaking, which really should remind you, you know, of her first smash hit, Bad Reputation. Never heard of it. Where she really doesn't care about her reputation. It's middle of the road territory. I agree. I like victim of circumstance well enough, but middle in the road territory for me too. I liked parts of it, but not all of it. You know, you could say it's a good song in bits and pieces. (laughs) That one got me. I wasn't expecting that transition. Oh, transition. Oh, you're right. That does work well with bits and pieces. The next song, doesn't it? Let's talk about that one since we are moving into it so smoothly. Bits and Pieces is another cover. The original is by Dave Clark and Mike Smith of the British group called the Dave Clark Five. I have a question. Yes. How many of these songs have been covers? Over half, right? Not over half. Not over half. At the end of the day, I think it's five out of the 11 that we're talking about are covers. So she'll still get the bonus point. She will still get the bonus point, yes, but it was close. (laughs) She's close. (laughs) But this is a 1964 pop song, if I've ever seen one. There's a music video for it and everything, and this band comes on in suits, and they do this whole sway back and forth thing, and it's really, really cheesy, but I feel like it's pretty representative of the way that old-timey pop music was. Here, look at that. You don't have to watch the whole thing. Skip somewhere in the middle, or even the beginning. You'll just get a sense of the vibe of it. Oh, I love that. It's oh, insane. I love that. <laughs> Just bouncing back and forth. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's the way the initial song sounded. That was kind of the style of it. And Joan Jett took it and said, that's not punk enough. I'm going to do it my way. And boy, did she. So that's where we end up with this really distorted rock and roll cover of the 60s song. And I mean, I like it for the sound, but I don't think I like the departure from her typical I'm in charge and don't take crap from anyone attitude so far. This one's all about you left and I'm all alone and I'm crying and picking up the bits and pieces that I'm left in since I was broken up with. And that just doesn't feel... Maybe she's trying to say it's okay to be vulnerable at times. You don't always have to be the take no crap, hard punk rock person all the time you're allowed to be vulnerable at times in sad situations like this i don't know no that's true and i mean that's a good message to send it just kind of came in out of left field for me with that shift in momentum i'm afraid that this song's never gonna live up to what you just showed me though i can't get them rocking back and forth out of my head well i just picture joan jett doing it now in the same style just on stage with the black heart swaying aggressively <laughs> there's a lot of stomping in the original version too every time they need to make a beat they just start stamping their feet around i like it 
Well, next up is the song Be Straight, where they chant Be Straight at you like 19 times. I kind of like it. I don't know. It's a song that really demands honesty from people. We're kind of right back to that techno crap mentality. If you want anything from me, you better be honest about it. Yeah, she's kind of like, I don't have time to play games. You're going to you're going to be honest. You're going to be up front with me or you're not worth my time. That's it. Yeah. Pretty much. She starts right away with, I don't believe you should live by the rules, and goes on to talk about, I never listen to things they say, because what you hear gets in your way. Again, feels a lot like not caring about your reputation. Similar themes. There are tons more good screams on this song, too. And I love how they add that touch of delay to the vocals and the feedback to the guitar. I kind of felt like you were listening to this at a stadium concert in a, a certain way. It just feels that big. It's got that same kind of energy. And in this case, you, you may be wondering about the repetition of B-Straight because it's more like an echo kind of thing. You know, it's... A little bit. They kind of chanted at you. Well, it's part of the lyric. When you talk to me, be straight. Be straight, yeah. It feels almost more like a stinger, I guess is the word, to each of the lines than it does actually part of the line. Yeah, that's a good word. Especially since literally there is a stinger on the end of the song with a final B-Straight. Yeah. It feels separated from the actual lyric and so I don't really consider it too repetitive. Like I said, I'm okay with the use of the same thing over and over for stylistic choices like this, but when you just keep singing the same thing at me over and over, that's when I get bored. When you nag me 78 times, come on. You know, throw in some naggities every once in a while. <laughs> Be straightity. <laughs> if we ever do another album that has the word naggity in it, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll do something. But it, it will be significant. <laughs> just everybody wait and watch. <laughs> If we ever do another album that says the word naggity, I don't know what I'll do, but be ready for it. <laughs> it's going to be epic. <laughs> See, this song is really interesting to me because she wrote it, but it sounds just like it could easily be one of the covers of the 60s songs. Like, with the chanting behind it, with the really simple like chord structure and stuff. It's just really cool. It really feels like a song you can sway aggressively to. It's just cool to see how she's adapted her own songwriting process to incorporate so many of these influences and so many tropes from more traditional rock music that she's kind of brought into her own style. Whether that's through covers and giving them her own flavor, or through her original songs and adding all these elements of older music to it. I think it works really well. Let's talk about You're Too Possessive. This is another one that Joan wrote by herself. The lyrics are pretty straightforward, but I did highlight some standouts, okay? Including, I don't need your interrogations. Don't ask about my other relations. I felt like that had the same energy as the silly tranquility line from before. Interrogations and other relations. I don't know, that one feels way more clever. Oh, it does, yes. But, I mean, it's the same kind of, like, she clearly had one of these words first and had to find a way to fit the other one in there. I would think interrogations came first because you easily could have made the other line say relationship. Yeah. Don't ask me about my relationships or something, you know, rather than about my other relations. Very possible. Joan Jed, if you're listening, tell us which of those words came first, silly or tranquility and interrogation relation. Please and thanks. And while you're at it, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I'd love to know your thoughts on that. <laughs> Philosophical questions here. Another line that I highlighted was, well, I don't have time to waste my time. A wimp like you ain't worth a dime. Like the dime in the jukebox, baby. Yeah. Those songs are not related at all, but my headcanon now is that the jukebox kid just sucks. <laughs> and he's too possessive, and, and this song is Joan dumping him. I like it. And then the other one I highlighted is, go away and don't come back. I don't want my mirror cracked. It's a pretty clever way to say ugly. Yeah. I like, I'm sure we'll find maybe a better one somewhere else, but for now, I'm also giving this the Spin It Award for the most clever insult. Well, true, man, I love rock and roll is cleaning up at the Spin It Awards. That's right. Getting some awards. We've snubbed Machine Gun Kelly. 
I don't know. I think it deserves to clean up. Obviously, the most repetitive thing is yeah. quantifiable. <laughs> So it's obviously earned that one. But I feel like I don't want my mirror cracked is a pretty clever insult. Yeah, this song kind of just was. This song kind of just was. It exists. I like your head cannon. Um, that's fun. Yeah, this one just kind of skirted by under the radar for me. Yeah, fair enough. What was your reaction to the next track? Did you like expect the little drummer boy to be some different song with the same title or did you expect it to be the Christmas song? Because I, going into it for the first time, kind of expected it to be something different, but also called The Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> so a little sneak peek into my listening process. I don't look at the titles of the songs before the song pops up. I just pull it up. <laughs> oh, so this one just hit you like a brick wall then. Well, no. So when I first start, I pull up the album, I hit play, I write down the title of the first one, start writing my notes about it. When that song finishes, then I start song two, write down its title and start writing notes about it. And so I saw the title, Little Drummer Boy, right before I listened to the song. I didn't have much time to really think about it, but I absolutely, when I you know saw the title, Little Drummer Boy, went, is this going to be the Christmas song? Because I had already seen from where I'd done a little research for Pactor Spin that this came out around the holiday season. It sure did. And so I already had that kind of in the back of my head and as soon as it started i was like it is the christmas song what has james done this is a poorly timed christmas album for the podcast yeah well because this album was released around christmas in mid-november she included this cover little drummer boy and it's kind of become a long-standing christmas favorite for some people but to compensate for it being included on the record she later added oh woe is me on most of the records sold after christmas which is just something you don't see often you know to add a song to the album in the middle of of its existence huh yeah i don't really have too terribly much to say i also want to point out yes that we're not the first group to use animals to keep track of numbers you know we got the squirrels for the math department yeah they have the donkey and the sheep keeping keep time, time. Them, you're right you know, they, in this song. they have a time department in the little drummer boy yeah and they use a lamb and a donkey it's true i didn't even think about that i did not even think about that <laughs> We're not, like, breaking the mold with that. It's not unheard of to use animals for numbers. No, definitely not. Okay, so I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole in researching about this song and this album and stuff. Mm. In the second verse, she sings Yoida Adash instead of Mary Nodded. Mary Nodded is the line that would normally be there, okay? And nobody knows what that is. Oh, really? I just assumed it was like a different language for that line, like Hebrew or something. I didn't know. No, I assumed it too. That's what I thought at first too. I said, oh, it sounds Hebrew, you know, something traditional. Sure. And I went to look it up because I was just curious about it. And nobody knows what Yoida Adash is. Apparently, Yoi, I guess, Google wants to make that Japanese, but Adash is kind of a Hebrew word. Okay, spin it true crime time. All right, spin it true crime time. We're going to get closer to the bottom of this, although we may not figure it out. Another spin it mystery. Put it up there with the carrots and the mystery of the number seven. Yeah, so what we know is that Joan Jett did not just make that phrase up. It's not a Joanism, as her fans say, because the Supremes also use it in their version of the song, mm. and a handful of older versions have it varied between that and Mary Nodded. Apparently, the song has its roots in Czech, so it's a Czechoslovakian song, and a dash is some kind of Czech slash Hebrew word. Mm. I mean, I straight up Googled what Adash is in both these languages, and I didn't find much, at least nothing super helpful. Interesting. Yeah, anyway, the point is, it's not clear where the phrase came from or what it even means, but it's a part of a handful of versions of The Little Drummer Boy, including this one from Joan Jett. So there you have it. Interesting. Yoida Adash. 
Don't say that to the wrong people. We don't know what it means. Let's see. Yoi is kind of like yo I, but slammed together. Oh, you're doing this. Yeah. Okay. Da is like Russian, right? Isn't it for like yes? For yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then a dash is like similar to the word dash. So it's like, yo, yes, I dash. Heck yeah, I'm running. And you know, she was running away earlier. Maybe it's got something to do with that. Yeah, maybe. We did it. Spin it true crime. Mystery solved. The little drummer boy is bad at his job, just like the jukebox boy. And so she's getting the heck out of there. She's running away, Mm. leaving him with the donkey and the lamb. You know, they'll keep him company. And she's getting out of there. Sure. But that's the little drummer boy. Pretty Christmassy. But then the next track that she added to the record later is Oh Woe Is Me. And I think it's a real shame that this one wasn't there from the start because this one's probably pretty close to top three for me. Yeah, it's really good. Still in the middle of the road for me, but like upper middle road. That's fair. I like a lot of the lines that she says in this one. What happened to my heroes? They seem to disappear. Good. The idols keep on singing, but they don't sound sincere. Woo, it is good. And the chorus is cool. Oh, woe is me. There's some really unusual guitar parts after that, too, that just caught my ear. I like it a lot. It's a great closer for the album. Could you imagine ending it on Little Drummer Boy? Like, that's the version of the album you have? Dude, I mean... (laughs) I can imagine it, but that sucks. Like, oh yeah, this is a way better closer. It just screeches to a halt. Yeah. But Oh What Was Me is a good closer. In the same kind of way that I Love Rock and Roll is a good opener. Because this one does feel like you've just been through this rock and roll trip. And it kind of winds you down in a way that feels like, like at the end of a concert, you know, when the artist is like, have a good night, everybody. And the band keeps on jamming for a little bit while they go off the stage. Yeah. That's what this song feels like to me. I'd agree with that. Well, that's every track that's on the original releases of this album. There are some more tracks that got added with special CD releases and other anniversary editions later, but for the most part, that's what this record is all about. We've made it. We did it. We made it. Uh, I think it's final spin territory. That's correct. I think it is. Pretty good time for final spin. At the end of the day... I really liked the flow of this record. You know, it's a good mix of original songs and cover songs, and it feels really, really quick because so many of them are so short. You know, they're like bite-sized tracks. Aside from Little Drummer Boy, only one track even exceeds three and a half minutes. So you can kind of ingest a lot of this pretty quickly. And also, like I've said a couple times, I really love how this album showcases her ability to A, scream, right? She does that in a couple places, and it's really cool. B, rock out. She loves rock and roll, and she puts it to work on this record. It is rock and roll through and through. It rocks, it rolls. Yeah. C, it really showcases her ability to take old songs and, like, roots rock influences and put her own twist on them that kind of reinvigorates them while keeping them very true to their roots. So the whole album feels really pretty consistent in theme and in tone and in style. So overall, it's just a quick, fun, pretty awesome record, I think. If we're talking favorite song, so you've got your top three and you already spilled the beans on your favorite song being Crimson and Clover. Correct. I think my favorite song, I can't make my favorite song anything but I Love Rock and Roll. I can live with that. It's a close second. Part of me feels like it's the low-hanging fruit, you know, to take Joan Jett's biggest song of all time and Mm -hmm. the title track for the album just to be like, oh, this is my favorite, but genuinely, there's just so much to love about it. Really good. Yeah, even though you've just listened to the entire album, that's the one that's still stuck in your head at the end of it. So let's talk scores. I've got my four categories locked and loaded. Music. And as we said earlier, because still half the songs were original songs, she's getting that one bonus point for creating the songs, right? Very true, yes. That's my rule is generally if it's half of the album or more is written by the artist, they'll get the little extra bump in score. But let's talk music. Like I mentioned, I like a lot of the musical styling on this record. You know, in... 
I love rock and roll. There are a couple parts that are just, it's just a kick drum and clapping that really keeps the rhythm going. It's high energy. Some of these songs are very throwback style. You know, the doo-wop covers, the 12-bar blues. The stuff that she writes herself has some pretty good chorus melodies that are really to the point. So music... I'm giving a 78. That's actually a little low for what I was expecting with all the positive things you had to say. Well, I say positive things because I like all these records. I try and score pretty objectively, but sometimes, you know, bias. Yeah, there wasn't a lot that you kind of nagged on. (laughs) That's correct. It's true. I'm not a naggity nag. So I was expecting like mid to upper 80s. Lyrics. I'm kind of torn on the lyrics because, you know, a lot of them, their innovation lies in their simplicity. But I don't know. I feel like there's a threshold that the lyrics never crossed. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this album is just bursting with energy and this rocking, super empowered woman. and, And it's great. But it just never quite gets to the peak that it maybe could achieve lyrically. Does that make sense? I don't know if it does. But lyrics, I'm giving a 77. See, that makes more sense because you actually had some negative things to say. Yeah. Production and instrumentation. Like I said, the Blackhearts have done a great job in not only providing this super consistent 80s punk rock sound, but also in incorporating those background vocals, that poppy kind of vibe when they need to. I think all around they just do a great job at emulating that older style while keeping true to their DNA, you know, as 80s punk rockers. So production and instrumentation, I'm giving an 85. I think that was super well done. All the guitar solos were rocking and the screams were good. Really can't get much better. Could get 15 points better. Yeah, I could. The overall vibe of the album, I think, honestly, is maybe not fair of me, but I think it takes a pretty significant hit from the inclusion of Little Drummer Boy. No, that's completely fair. From that and from bits and pieces, like I said, didn't really necessarily, I don't know, it was a little bit of whiplash with the themes of being strong and not taking any, Mm -hmm. and then that was like, I'm in bits and pieces and I'm crying on the floor. Like, that was a little bit of cognitive dissonance. So, vibe still strong, but just dipping in a few areas. I'm also giving a 78. All pretty close, compact scores. Yeah, for the most part. It's 78, 77, 85, 78. So, the production is really the only outlier. Yeah. If you take all that into account, run it through my patented algorithm, and feed it to the squirrels that are in our math department. My final score for this one's coming out to a 79.4. 79.4. Where's that put it on the list? Right now on the list, that puts it at number 285. Pretty close to the middle of the list. Yeah, it's always funny because you hear 285 and you're like, whoa, that's really low. There's 284 things above that. No, but, but there's it's also not really like... Low. 284 things below that too, right? It's pretty darn close to the middle of the pack. Yeah, the list actually by the time this episode comes out should be in excess of 400 albums. So that's exciting. Wow. And I've still got a lot more that need added to the official list that I have on my own backlog. So it's a whole mess. Suffice it to say, 285 is not the thing you should be worried about necessarily. You should be worried about 79.4 from me. And now... It's time for Connor's take on the matter. Do you love rock and roll? I do love rock and roll, and I really love this album. This is right up my alley in the kind of music that I like to listen to, that older 80s, 90s, 70s era music across most all genres. Why did you, hold on, why did you say it that way? (laughs) I know I went out of order. I started with 80s, and then I was going to count up, but then I realized I skipped 70, and so I just tucked it on in there, and we could have gone right past it. You know, this came out in 81, so I started with the decade it came out in. All right, and fair realized enough. realized I should have started with 70. Sure. It did a lot of things right for me, but it did some pretty major things wrong. I mean, from 
I mean, little drummer boy. I know I joked at the beginning that you making me listen to a Christmas album in September was going to hurt the score, but little drummer boy truly does hurt the score. It just does not have a purpose on this album. It should not exist. I know. No, it shouldn't. I agree with you. I really enjoyed the simple lyrics on this one. I didn't have to sit there and try to dissect as I was listening. I was able to just rock out uh, the album. So all in all, you know, this one's going to get eight naggities out of 10 for me. Eight naggities. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, she already had a good number of naggities in there herself. It's true. She kept nagging at me and I said, all right, I'll give you an eight. Eight. Yeah, I really, I honestly wanted to give it a nine, but things like Little Drummer Boy and Bits and Pieces and some of the things like that dropped it down to an eight. I really enjoy a good 80s rock album. Wow. An eight is still, I mean, that's up there. You don't award the eight lightly, I don't think. Uh, the nine is what I don't award lightly. I, I've given out a few eights. I would agree. Probably the majority of my scores are about the seven range. So this gets the edge. I mean, your score was a 79 point something. So it's pretty darn close. No, it's true. This may be the closest our scores have been yet. If you consider that mine's only 0.6 away from an eight. Yeah, it's true. Well, there we have it. A 79.4 and an eight. That's going to conclude our episode on I Love Rock and Roll. I learned a lot about Joan Jett this week in preparation for this episode. And I got to say, I only enjoy her more now than I did before. Not that I didn't before, because I still did. She rocks. You learned she didn't almost write the McDonald's jingle? That's correct. Well, can can you say that I learned that she didn't do that if she just never did and I also never assumed that she did? I mean... You didn't know that she didn't do that. I guess. I guess I didn't know. If somebody came up to you on the street and said, a million dollars, if you get this question right, did Joan Jett almost create the McDonald's jingle? You wouldn't be certain in your answer. I wish someone would have done that to me today because I was on a roll. I would have got a million (laughs) dollars. But instead, all you got was another point in your column of the spreadsheet. That's right. That's www.spinitpod.com. You can find all of our resources and social links and everything you could ever want Spin It related. It's cool. Tune in next week when we bring you a really exciting episode, courtesy of us, right here, right now. You're going to love it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you real soon. And keep spinning, everybody. Keep spinning. Keep rolling. Keep rolling? No, keep Keep spinning. Keep rocking. Keep rolling. Keep rocking. Keep rolling. Keep spinning. Keep loving. Keep loving, too. Keep eyeing. Keep anding. Okay, uh, goodbye.